Hello, I'm Amanda Jezik, IDSA's Senior Vice President for Public Policy and Government Relations. Welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series that aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by talking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Kritika Kupali, Assistant Professor at the Medical University of South Carolina, and Dr. Daud Siraj, Professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases and Director of the Global Health Program at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, about global COVID-19 and what's happening in Africa and India. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Dr. Kupali, let's begin with you. India has reported daily record-breaking case numbers of COVID-19. You and several colleagues formed an organization of physicians from around the world to help to respond to this crisis. Tell us more about who you're collaborating with and what type of support you're providing. The group of physicians and other clinicians, engineers, scientists, policymakers, epidemiologists, and community organizers, we formed a group called India COVID SOS, and we are a group of over 500 volunteers, academics across India, Europe, the UK, and the US. We've come together in collective action by the unprecedented surge of COVID-19 cases in India. The goal of our group is to build, share, and deploy solutions that are deeply rooted in clinical need and scientific principles, and to mitigate this crisis as we work alongside communities on the ground. We're working to identify and channel funds to verified organizations in India, and if necessary elsewhere, that are procuring and distributing key resources to support the urgent need for the COVID-19 response in India. And we are continuing to expand the coalition to a broader group of partnering agencies and individuals needed to bring this pandemic under control in India. We are currently working to attack the problem at multiple levels. So we're working on things like genomic sequencing, planning of field hospitals, risk mitigation, home-based care, equitable access to pulse oximeters, solutions for oxygen shortage, diagnostics, communication, advocacy, fundraising, and mental health. Thank you. And Dr. Kapali, what in your view is contributing to the rapid spread of infections in India? The rapid spread of infections is related to a number of things. First of all, uh, when they had their initial surge last year, there was this narrative that was put out there that India, quote unquote, beat the pandemic and people became lax with public health measures. I think that was one problem. The other challenge was during that initial surge, the government and the Ministry of Health didn't use that time to adequately ramp up and prepare for a potential second surge. And we're seeing some of the repercussions of that now as the healthcare system is overwhelmed and we're seeing the pandemic move to rural parts of India who are also not ready for dealing with this infection. The third thing um, that is also leading to this is just the complicated socioeconomic and population density dynamics in India. As uh, many people know, India is a country of over a billion people. There are large population density challenges in India. So it's very difficult to do things like socially distance, uh, things that we talk about when it comes to preventing the spread of infection. And so given all the other things that we talked about, 
uh, now that we have this rapidly increasing rise of infections, you know, when we have people who are living in very close quarters with each other, you're going to see cases spread very quickly. And now that you don't have a healthcare system that's able to manage those rapid rise of infections, we're seeing this crisis unfold very quickly. So it's a very complicated situation. And unfortunately, we're seeing the repercussions of false narratives, misinformation, and unfortunately, a country that has not been the most well-prepared. So Dr. Kupali, given the many different uh, complicated factors and variables that you laid out, what in your opinion is needed to bring the pandemic under control in India? And what more should the U.S. and other countries be doing to provide support? The first thing that needs to be done is we need to stop the rates of transmission. And that's going to be the most important thing to get this pandemic under control. Uh, We are starting to see a ebb in the ongoing transmission, which is good. But I think that we also need to work on expanding healthcare capacity. And I think that is something that the international community can help with. So donations of oxygen concentrators, ventilators, medications, vaccine, PPE, and rapid diagnostic tests. And that can come from the United States and the international community. Uh, I think we also urgently um, need to have countries that have excess supply of vaccine uh, really need to try and help uh, roll out vaccine campaigns in places like India. This will help also prevent onward transmission of infection, especially you know with the new uh, B1617 variant that's been shown to be a variant of concern. We need to try and get this under control and not just prevent the spread of this variant, but other provincial variants that could emerge. And so by trying to help get the rates of circulating virus under control, by helping to vaccinate people, this will help prevent onward transmission. Other things that can be done is that international partners can support the scale up of laboratory testing and genomic sequencing. Uh, We need to know what variants are circulating where, and also they can partner with existing academic institutions and laboratories to expand and augment centers in India. Other things that can be done is that they can provide technical assistance for training people on the ground, and they can also work with state and local partners to assist with logistics of securing and transporting resources. Finally, you know, we need to think about how this is going to impact not just India, but the rest of the world. And India is one of the largest producers of vaccines, generic medications, antiretrovirals, and TB medications. And this pandemic is going to have a devastating effect, not just on the production of these medications, but in how this is going to affect the rest of the world's supply of these medications. So we need to be thinking about developing relationships with industries to ensure these medications will be available in the coming months, and that this doesn't affect the supply to other parts of the world. And we finally need to work on monitoring and helping countries in uh, the rest of Southeast Asia to make sure that this doesn't spread to neighboring countries. We've already seen an increase in COVID-19 cases in Nepal and other countries. And if this um, spreads out of control in Southeast Asia, this could become a regional disaster. So I think there's a lot of ways that the U.S. and other global partners can help in this particular situation. Thank you, Dr. Kupali. Turning now to the continent of Africa, Dr. Siraj, what can you tell us about the pandemic in African countries? 
COVID-19 continues to disproportionately impact uh, Africa, as we have been discussing this uh, for a while. Uh, the last few weeks, uh, the reported numbers have been a little bit lower than what we have been seeing in the early 2021, around January, maybe even December 2020. And by that measure, uh, it looks like the second wave of pandemic seems to be slowing, which is a very good news. But at the same time, despite all these numbers slow, um, we're seeing that hospitalizations and oxygen demand, ICU need, uh, remains to be very strong in Africa, and uh, that is a challenge and worry. Uh, in the countries that I follow uh, very closely in Ethiopia, hospitals are still at the above capacity, traditional capacity level, with over 500 uh, COVID patients in ICU care. The need for high flow oxygen and ventilator support remains very, very strong, and that is what is worrying us. If you look at the numbers, around 4.7 million cases have been reported from Africa for a population of 1.2 billion, as you know. Uh, this is, uh, we believe, is much, much smaller than what is actually happening because testing is lagging, and we'll discuss that uh, in a moment because this is really the linchpin for African um, response measure because the testing has been very, very low and um, giving us a false reassurance, actually. In fact, the fear is Many of the public health strategies are informed with the low testing and the low uh, numbers. And uh, as uh, Dr. Kupali clearly said it, like India, many African countries think that they have beaten this uh, pandemic. In fact, when we are thinking that probably the third one is uh, around the corner and uh, uh, we will have uh, the day of reckoning like what India is going through in the next few months. So that is the fear that we are trying to avert and to make aware the international community so that support can be delivered as early as possible to prepare. IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. Timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to covid19learningnetwork.org. You said that you believe cases are being underreported in Africa due to limited testing capacity. Let's talk a little bit more about data reporting. Uh, at the time of this recording, Africa has recorded over 128,000 deaths due to COVID-19, compared with roughly 590,000 in the United States, 3.3 million in Europe, and 551,000 in Asia. Do you believe that these numbers are accurate or are these also being impacted by limited testing capacity? And is there more you'd like to tell us about testing capacity in Africa? Information in general, but more specifically, the adequate and proper data uh, acquisition from African countries overall has been really the Achilles heel of this public health strategy in African countries. If you look at the CDC report that was released recently, 4.7 million cases from 55 African uh, countries and then 128,700 days. If you look at this just plainly, it looks like it's a very small one, but there are telltale signs that this might not be a true one. Uh, so let's look at those. The first one is the case fatality rate. The case fatality rate is 
higher, and it's actually have been inching higher since June of 2020. Right now, it's around 2.7%. If you look at the case fatality rate for US with all these days that have been reported, it only was 1.76%. And for the globe, it is around 2.1%. So what it's telling you is if we were being testing more, would have been finding more and probably there might be so many days that hasn't been accounted and hasn't been documented properly and uh, we don't know about uh, why they die because the test has never been done. Uh, so if you look at the few countries telling countries in Africa, the top three countries that are reporting a higher number are South Africa, Morocco, and Ethiopia. And if you see, except for Ethiopia, these are not the most populous nations. It actually mirrors how much testing they are doing. So if you look, for example, the most populous nation in Africa, which is Nigeria, which has 200 million people, uh, it only has done 2.1 million tests. South Africa with just 58 million people have done 11 million tests. Just South Africa, which has inadequate testing, has done almost 10 times more than what Nigeria should have been done. So it tells you that the numbers are smaller in many African countries because uh, the uh, testing has been inadequate rather than the trajectory of the disease. And it is clearly outlined in many, many areas. Any country which has surged its testing capacity in parallel, the numbers both the mortality and cases have been rising significantly, they never reach a plateau where uh, testing uh, does not bring you meaningful additional uh, cases to the, to the front. And it's good to compare this actually with the world. So for example, Dr. Kupali clearly said that one of the uh, weaknesses in Indian response system was testing. So India has a population around 1.4 billion, which is around close to Africa, which is 1.2 billion. Uh, they have done about 300 million testing. Uh, but for the whole Africa, we have done only 38 million testing. Even India, which has done very limited testing, has done almost 10 times more testing than uh, Africa. So, so this has been the biggest impediment because all decisions, whether it's public health strategies and other interventions, depend on how really worried the government leadership is based on the numbers that they are uh, seeing. And, and the other telltale sign is the test positivity rate. Every time we test, we get positive. So the test positivity rate for Africa uh, overall has been around 10%. Uh, for Ethiopia, it is 10 And for South Africa, it is 14.7%. And this is way, way high than the WHO suggested positivity rate really to meaningfully control this disease, which is less than 5%. So really testing has uh, impacted all the things from planning to uh, public health uh, measures to prioritization of uh, interventions. Thank you, Dr. Siraj. Let's go beyond testing and talk more broadly about um, healthcare systems and the response. How well equipped are healthcare systems in Africa to respond to an increase in the spread of COVID-19? Yes, uh, so this is a big fear Africa is having right now. Looking at what India is going through right now, many African nations are no longer as confident as they were a few months before thinking that the pandemic has already passed and they, are, have, they have actually dodged the bullet because looking at uh, uh, what uh, India was claiming and now what they have, you clearly see that uh, without a proper public health strategy, uh, 
and maybe vaccine arriving, this pandemic's third wave might be happening anytime in, in Africa, and that would be catastrophic. That's what we are worried. So if you look at uh, the things that we uh, need to respond to this disease, the good public health infrastructures, whether it is the testing, the contact tracing, isolation, very, very limited in many of the African countries. The other is the public health strategy, face masking, because the numbers have been low for a number of reasons, as we have discussed. People are not as compliant as uh, they were before uh, for the advices and recommendations of face masks. But, I mean, uh, closure of gatherings have been uh, in some ways affected at some point, but nowadays uh, it is becoming lax in many other countries, understandably because the economic impact has been really devastating also. But more importantly, hospital care, if you look at the number of healthcare workers to start with were very, very low, but also disproportionately impacted by COVID also. ICU care has never been a big strength for Africa, and now the demand for ICU care is increasing. So if there was a third wave, a catastrophic happening can unfold where ICU care, high-flow oxygen, ventilators uh, might be limited, but the other one is the vaccine rollout. So each country in Africa really should examine their system, uh, but more importantly, the world and the international community through WHO and African CDC, which are really working very hard to change the trajectory in Africa, uh, really should empower African countries because they really cannot do it by themselves and really prepare them to a level which is meaningfully adequate uh, so that if there is a third wave of this disease, uh, we can meaningfully uh, control. I mean, the worry is doubled again because of the new variants that are coming. You know, we wonder what would be the impact of those uh, new uh, variants, which are all being documented in Africa now uh, at uh, some level. You know, the testing and the genomic sequencing capacity is limited in many African countries. But even with that, many, many African countries are reporting all the variants, whether it's the South African variant, the UK variant, and now the new, the Indian variant also. There is a silver lining here. The good news is uh, the disease is still to a greater extent is really concentrated in a big urban cities. So there is a time actually to intervene and to protect the major rural community in Africa, even at this time, because, and, and we need really data from country by country to figure out exactly in which country, uh, what kind of measures uh, would be impacting. But no doubt the big impact will be coming when we improve the access uh, to vaccines. Dr. Siraj, you made a great point about the need to empower African countries to strengthen their response capabilities. Is there anything more that you'd like to tell us about the type of support that is most urgently needed from the international community to help Africa respond to the pandemic? The U.S. and international community are doing a lot, but we can do so much. Uh, there is a lot that we can do. And this is based on the assumption that there is another surge that would likely hit Africa in the near future. I mean, from public health infrastructure, including collecting quality data that can impact public health strategies, uh, including good modeling based on city by city and country by country, rather than a generic uh, form of modeling to show when the pandemic's peak will be so that uh, proper resource allocations can be done. Improving hospital services. This is one of the biggest 
problems if African can uh, numbers were to increase a little more, a little more than what we are seeing right now, the ICUs will be overflowing, overflowing uh, oxygen demand will be unmet, and we might see people dying because of lack of oxygen and ventilator capacity. So this is the area where we can really help and improve the quality of ICU care within many, many African countries. In fact, IDSA and other societies like pulmonary and critical society can do a lot more by training manpower also in ICU care and ventilator management and oxygen management of patients also. And I, should, I, I strongly feel that we can do uh, a lot. But the most important help, no doubt, uh, is going to be on vaccine allocation and distribution because we know vaccine works to, to, to really curtail and limit this number. So WHO and the world must really quickly act to strengthen the system uh, within African uh, continent to prevent the tragedies that we're seeing right now in, in India. If you look at uh, the vaccine supply across the world, over a billion doses have been administered uh, globally uh, to this day, and the majority was in the Western uh, Hemisphere, as you know. Uh, Africa, from all this one billion doses, uh, it has got only 37 million. Uh, for a population of 15% of the total world population, we only got 37 million uh, of the vaccine. And this is less than 1% coverage. So we need to really remember this, less than 1% coverage. If we look, for example, to Ethiopia, which is the second most populous nation in Africa, it only got about 2.5 million doses. And this has been, the vaccination rate has been around 1% of the total population. So penetration in Africa in general has been less than 1%. If we continue the same rate that we are vaccinating Africa right now, by the end of 2021, only 10% of the total population of Africa would be vaccinated. And we know that to have a meaningful shot at preventing transmission of this disease, creating a herd immunity, we need 60, 70% of the population to be vaccinated. And we are not even anywhere close uh, to that. Almost all African countries got their vaccine from the COVAX fund which is really orchestrated by WHO and many, many uh, donors. So because of that, empowering COVAX and supplying excess vaccines from anywhere to this system uh, really will empower uh, many, many African countries. And not only African countries, a lot of uh, the low-income countries. In fact, 67% of low-income countries across the world get their vaccine uh, from COVAX, and none of those countries actually have purchased their own vaccine. So, so you can you can see that it is only through the COVAX. I mean, you can purchase from the market, but those countries cannot afford uh, to do that. Uh, so, uh, the waiving of the patent for vaccination that USA is considering is a very good move because production can be really upscaled in so many areas, so that. Uh, we can improve this percentage uh, uh, significantly. Recently, USA, ha United States have uh, promised that it will release the 60 million AstraZeneca vaccines that it has to developing countries through COVAX. This is a good news also, but as you can see, the numbers that are needed are staggering. So we really need to upscale our game uh, if we are going to 
prevent um, a disaster. You know, COVID is a pulmonary disease, a highly transmittable disease by airways. And unless global concerted effort uh, is made to control the pandemics, um, considering global movement and commerce that we see on a daily basis nowadays, uh, local efforts to curtail this disease in each country uh, can go so far. You cannot protect yourself by just only vaccinating yourself unless you're going to be completely locking your country also, which is going to be not the right move. So really, we got to understand this and, and really uh, supporting those developing nations, uh, African nations, is not only a just move and uh, uh, an act of kindness, but also a good public health strategy for us to prevent another uh, surge of this pandemic. At this time, I'd like to thank Drs. Kupali and Siraj for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. I'm Amanda Jessick. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast.